Please stand as you are able for today's New Testament lesson from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart for all of you share in God's grace with me both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, for the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, Lori, thank you so much for reading our lesson this morning, and grace and peace to all of you in the name of Christ. I want to add my word of greeting to that of Casey's already, and uh, we're so grateful. Uh, are you all grateful for 8.30 worship? Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. So good. And, and James and our worship and arts have uh, rebuilt this marvelous Sunshine Youth Choir. You all bless us, and uh, just the sight of you and the sound of you is such a testimony. We're grateful to the orchestra, to our strings, uh, who our friends uh, are with us today, and for your contribution as well uh, to the worship service. Happy May Day to all of you. It's hard to believe that today is the first day of May, the first uh, of five Sundays in this month. And as Casey mentioned at the forefront of the service, uh, the church has now gone to the dogs. And so we hope you'll bring your dog. Um, there is some concern about our exclusion of cats at this point. Uh, I read the other day that dogs will allow you to be the master, but cats need a resume. Uh, so we're just going stick, to stick with the dogs on Saturday. We look forward to that. Uh, as we kind of rejuvenate our early service, uh, we also need some ushers. Uh, we, we have some wonderful ushers, but we're in need of more. Uh, Richard Drumright and Dwight Armstrong are head ushers for this service. And if you can help us in that way, we need you. Uh, and we would welcome you. And I think you would also find it a marvelous ministry, too, uh, just to be able to, to work uh, and to greet others uh, in, in the name of Christ. It, it'll be a blessing to you. So if you can do that, let me know uh, or let Richard uh, or Dwight know, and we'll be very grateful to you. So we're beginning a new series this morning that will begin today with this introductory sermon and we'll conclude on June the 12th, a new series called Joyful. For the next seven Sundays, beginning today, we're going to do a, deep, a deeper dive into one of Paul's letters, specifically his letter to the flock in Philippi. Now, I don't have to tell you, you know that much of the New Testament is made up of, of letters that are written to various church plants 
in the Greco-Roman world, and that such letters were written to guide and encourage communities of disciples in their ongoing faith and outreach. You may not remember that of the 27 books in the New Testament, there are 66 altogether, right? 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. But did you know that 21 of those New Testament books are actually letters? 21 of 27, many of which were penned, written, authored by the Apostle Paul. It makes sense, doesn't it, that because Paul could not be in two places at one time, the next best thing to being there is a letter. Now, I may have to remind those of you under 40, does anybody remember this ancient genre of communication that has become somewhat archaic? I don't know who said it, but I agree. We lost a lot when we stopped writing letters because you cannot reread a phone call. In fact, it was Phyllis Thoreau, one of my favorite writers, who said, to send a letter is a good way to go somewhere without moving anything but your heart. And so Paul ministered to others through the mail. The Roman Postal Service, these letters, were designed to be read in the context of the community, the congregation, for all the body to hear. And later, as you know, these letters to specific communities would be circulated to other communities before finally they were incorporated into the canon that we call the Holy Scripture. Paul's voyage to Philippi was the first advance of the gospel message into Eastern Europe. You may know that this was not on his GPS, at least until Acts 16 where during his second of three mission trips in the book of Acts that's recorded, in Troas, he envisioned a a Macedonian man pleading with him. He had a dream, a vision. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Next morning, the Spirit redirected, rerouted Paul and friends, and they set sail for Macedonia. It was a strategic place for a church. It was a Roman colony a nationalistic colony that was populated largely by retired Roman soldiers. Named for Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. And of course it was located, Philippi was located on a main highway called the Ignatian Way that connected east and west 10 miles inland from the Aegean Sea And so this was the right place. It was an it city. It was the Nashville of its area to locate a church. And so Paul, who always worked in teams, always, Paul along with Timothy and Silas and probably his doctor, Dr. Luke, chartered a church in Philippi in 50 A.D. Now look, I know that pastors are not supposed to have favorite churches. I get that. And churches are not supposed to have favorite preachers, right? But, but we do. I have to tell you, my favorite preacher in the house today is Casey. She is my favorite preacher on staff who is in this service. <laughs> I have had the privilege 
of serving six churches in my time, five in North Georgia, one in Brentwood, and I have to tell you that you're my favorite church in the state of Tennessee. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to play favorites, but we do. In fact, when you read this letter, and I hope you'll read it in its entirety, it's only four chapters, it's really hard to ignore the fact that Paul uses the word joy 14 times in four chapters when he's speaking to this community. That's why scholars, teachers of the word, usually refer to this letter as the epistle of joy. Even in the introductory comments, even in his signature that always comes first in the letter, not last, even in the Thanksgiving section that we've read, verses 3 through 11, you can just feel the love. You can can feel the affection of this pastor for his people and the people for him. And I have to say, because I'm kind of a psychoanalyst, a psych major from school, that honestly, this feeling strikes me as a little uncharacteristic of the Apostle Paul, (laughs) because I don't often see him as a touchy-feely sort of guy. More often, I see him as a thick-skinned, tough-minded, no-nonsense, sober prophet who is not one to stop and smell the roses or pat the babies on the head, but there's a different feel in this letter. In fact, just to give you a, a little taste of it, let me, let me again read an excerpt, but this time from a more modern translation. Let me read just an excerpt from the Common English Bible. Paul speaking. I'm thankful for all of you every time I pray. And it's always a prayer full of joy. I'm joyful because you've been my partners in the gospel from the time you first believed until now. And I'm certain of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You are all my partners in God's grace. In fact, both during my time in prison and in the defense and support of the gospel, God is my witness that I feel affection for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice that I've italicized a couple of words in that Thanksgiving section, the word partner. Paul speaks of his association with the church in Philippi as a partnership. I love that. The word in Greek is actually koinonia. That is the close connection, the close affinity and association between people who emphasize what is common between them. It is a joint participation. It is a sharing together. And Paul felt this in Philippi. I was in Dallas a few weeks ago in a meeting that was organized and initiated by the Texas Methodist Foundation, TMF. This particular organization invited a small group of pastors of what they called big tent pastors from all over the nation to meet together. We represent churches, there were about 10 of us, we represent churches who at least have the reputation for being deeply centered in Christ and missional discipleship, and who at least have the reputation that we are not particularly interested in starting a new denomination, or for that matter, a new bureaucracy. What we are interested in doing, however, is assisting the Spirit in a new movement of Christ. There was one man from Baton Rouge. 
There was another friend from Lubbock, Texas, another from Boise, Idaho. These were all Methodists. One from Louisville, Kentucky, two from Atlanta, one from Fayetteville, Arkansas, one from Birmingham, and one very special person from Brentwood. And now we're meeting twice a year just for conversation, for prayer, and fellowship. And I have to tell you, I was sort of assessing the group because I only knew two of these people. And as I was listening and watching and participating in this group, I noticed that everybody in our group seemed to have a deep affection for their people. Now, I don't know if you've been to a minister's meeting before, but oftentimes it can become a gripe session. God forgive us bemoaning and lamenting the state of the church. But in this gathering, to the contrary, you know what we were doing? We were sharing glory sightings, signs of faith and hope that we see in you. Well, of course, there are issues and concerns. If you have a pastor, he is your concern. He, she can be your issue. But everybody in that room felt this deep sense of koinonia, partnership with our congregations. It was a beautiful thing. I saw this partnership in action last Tuesday morning in Haney Hall at our healing housing breakfast. Uh, Many of you know about, many of you are engaged in this incredible ministry, this mission that addresses the needs of women who are recovering from addiction, giving them a place to stay. It's a very holistic ministry that addresses their spiritual, emotional, economic, every need conceivable. And we gathered on Tuesday morning to celebrate our anniversary. Five years that ministry has been in existence It began through the vision of Olivia Smith and now Tracy Levine, our director. Amazing, amazing people. And in those five years, we have celebrated 150 women who are sober, who have graduated, who are now working, and in many cases, with their families again. The latest figures indicate, get this, that 81% success rate And I don't know if you know much about recovery, but that's remarkable. And to God be the glory. Many of you are engaged. And last Tuesday, believe it or not, we came together with about 150 of you. And together you raised $133,000 for that ministry. We're aiming for 200. It's not too late. Pat Rawls, who is one of us, one of our key lay leaders, who's with us this morning, she was one of the speakers, and she told us that she recently shared a devotion uh, around the topic of hope with the women, with the residents. And in her talk, she asked this question. Ladies, what does it feel like to be supported by total strangers? Talking about the church. And then she shared some of their responses I don't feel like I'm just a junkie. It doesn't feel punitive. It helps me to believe in myself again. My family wouldn't even do that. And as we listened and prayed and praised God for this, it struck me as Pat Rawls spoke that this is church at her best. It's a partnership. Where even those who feel estranged 
come to know that they are loved, that they belong, and that they have a gift to share with the world. It's a partnership. It's koinonia. We have that with South Africa. So many of you know that during a COVID year, we're now supporting 435 students with scholarships to get their education. Seven years ago, Sherry and I were honored to begin sponsoring and supporting Indela. We met her when we went to Howick in 2016. Beautiful child, beautiful child. She lives in a little settlement outside of Howick in about 300 square feet with sheet metal and other things they can retrieve to have some kind of boundary, some kind of housing. They have no running water. She was four years old in this picture. She's 10 now. She's in the fifth grade, and that's our partner. She's one of us. And I cannot tell you the kind of affection that we feel for that child. I'm told that she reads her Bible every night and she's somebody, she wants to be a nurse. This is church at her best. Now maybe one of the reasons that that Paul felt such affection for the church in Philippi was because he realized he wasn't the only one doing the pastoring. They were all doing it, and they were pastoring the pastor too. Now, we have two kinds of people sometimes in the world, those who pastor the pastor and those who pastor the pastor. But they're all welcome. It's interesting to me that Philippi was the only church. Did you know this? Philippi was the only church that Paul ever served from whom he received and accepted a financial gift. He wouldn't do it ordinarily because he didn't want to feel beholden. He didn't want money to be the issue between his pastorate and his people. In fact, Paul didn't want patrons. He wanted disciples. But not only did they send a gift when Paul needed it, they hand-delivered it through one of their own whose name, kind of a funny name, Epaphroditus, who later became the bishop of Philippi. He pastored the pastor. And Paul remembered that when he wrote this letter. There's one other thing that I think is important just in the introduction to this letter. And that's, that's the return address on the envelope. Do you know where Paul was writing from? He was writing from jail. <laughs> he was incarcerated. He was under house arrest, likely in Rome. And for me at least, given that kind of context, it's remarkable that his content could be anything but bitter. He seems pretty content despite his context, and I wonder how on earth can that be? I think I know. It is because Paul's joy was never contingent on his external circumstances. It is because joy is not something that happens to you. It happens in you. His external circumstances and situation never robbed him of his internal joy 
Joy is the infallible proof of the presence of Christ in our lives. Don't you remember in what we just read, Lori, you just read it, in the signature statement, verses 1 and 2, he addresses them as the saints, not first of all in Philippi, but in Christ. So before he talks about geography, he talks about theology. You are in Christ. That's your permanent residence. And in Philippi. Or for those of us who are believers, you are in Christ in Brentwood. So that's your theology and your sociology combined as one. You are to live out your faith in Brentwood. And what Paul is actually doing that blows my mind is he is actually using his chains, his suffering, as a platform to witness to the very people who are detaining him. He's testifying to the security guards, to the Praetorian Guard, to Rome's finest. And Paul sees his chains as a means of grace by which he can share the gospel, and that brings him joy. Last word. Uh, did, did any of you watch the Masters a few weeks ago? You see that? Uh, if you've lived in Georgia, that's, that's a necessity. You have to watch the Masters. Uh, some of you are thinking, finally, a subject that I can identify with. Three weeks ago, the Masters, it was an incredible tournament. Scotty Scheffler, 25 years of age, who grew up in Dallas, Texas, in the Highland Park area where SMU is, where I attended. Uh, Scotty Scheffler was up by three strokes going into the last round on Sunday. He confessed after the tournament that he, he was an absolute basket case that morning, being three strokes in the lead before teeing off on the first hole. In, in, in fact, if you read about Scotty, Scotty's a believer, and he's not bashful about sharing his faith. In fact, he made it clear that he wants to use his gift of playing golf not just to win tournaments, but to glorify God. But on Palm Sunday morning... April 10th, three weeks ago, before the last round, he cried like a baby, he said, before I got to the course. He said, I was as nervous as a house cat. In fact, he said, I, I called my wife on the phone and I said, I don't think I'm ready for this. To which his wife Meredith said, and I quote, who are you to say you're not ready for this? You were made for such a time as this. And then she added this word. But whether you win today or lose by 10 strokes, if you never win another golf tournament again in your life, I'm still gonna love you. You're gonna be the same guy. And more importantly, Jesus will still love you. And nothing but nothing can ever change that. That's a good partner. And it got him through on Sunday he won the tournament, even though he four-putted on the 18th green, which personally I found rather encouraging. <laughs> I can play with that guy. He won the tournament, but it was his wife that won the day. That's good partnering. I've got a partner like that. There is a joy that is much deeper than winning and losing. 
And that's the joy that comes from knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt who you are and whose you are. That's our joy. And that's our salvation. It was Mr. Wesley who said, and I quote, It is not possible in the nature of things that a person should be happy who is not holy. Not possible. There's something more important than winning the masters, and that's knowing that you belong to the master. And our calling is to partner with him and each other in ways that remind our neighbors of who they are and whose they are in Christ to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.